Welcome to Contain This. I'm Dr Stephanie Williams, Australia's Ambassador for Regional Health Security. As we mark World AIDS Day on December 1 with the slogan, End Inequalities, End AIDS, End Pandemics, we bring you the story of an Indo-Pacific Centre for Health Security project. It's called ACT UP. It is taking place in Papua New Guinea and is founded on a long-term partnership with affected communities. By end 2019, PNG had an estimated 51,000 people living with HIV. The Centre for Health Security's ACT UP project is doing two really exciting things. First, they have improved access to and timeliness of HIV viral load testing and resistance testing for HIV patients. This means viral load results are available on the same day, rather than the weeks to months it had taken previously. The second is increasing access to early infant diagnosis, a testing technique that uses dried blood spots and reduces the time to diagnosis of HIV and reduces time to treatment should they be positive. This is especially important in PNG where parent-to-child transmission still accounts for such a high proportion of HIV diagnoses. I spoke to ACT UP's three principal co-investigators last week. Dr Janet Garay, a recently appointed head of the Sexual and Reproductive Health Unit at the PNG Institute of Medical Research, PNG IMR. Science Associate Professor Angela Kelly, who holds a joint position with PNG IMR and the Kirby Institute at University of New South Wales. Dr Steve Badman, a Senior Implementation Specialist who works at the Public Health Interventions Research Program with the Kirby Institute. Angela, can you explain to us why HIV drug resistance surveillance is so important in PNG right now? Thanks, Stephanie. I think to go back a step, I think the spread of AMR is an alarming health security issue for us all globally. And of course, in, in the Asia Pacific region or the Indo-Pacific region, this is uh, incredibly well recognised, but particularly around bacterial infections like tuberculosis and the development of MDR and XDR, but also issues like gonorrhea. But I think less focus has been given to viral pathogens. And what we know and what I guess what the partners do in the Centre for Pacific Health is to look at the settings where the highest burdens of these issues of AMR exist, but these are also the settings in which we're least able to do anything about them. And, or at least they're not able to do anything without good investment from partners and donor countries. And so in terms of HIV, HIV has been seen as an issue in the Indo-Pacific region and particularly in Papua New Guinea, which has the greatest epidemic of HIV in all of the Pacific and, and one of the highest um, in the region. But the drug resistance problem has not had the attention it requires. And my colleague, Janet Gare, did um, two very significant pieces of work on drug resistance in Papua New Guinea. And the most recent one was maybe three or four years ago now. And it showed that more than 17% of people who were either newly diagnosed with HIV or had returned to start ART treatment, so what we would call treatment naive people, had drug resistance. And this placed us about one of the top four worst performing countries in the world behind countries like Nicaragua for drug resistance. 
And what this means is the treatments available will not work on those people. And so this means we will see more AIDS related conditions, we'll see more deaths. And this of course has significant burden in terms of mortality, but also morbidity. And what we don't know at the moment is what is the role that drug resistance is also playing for our women and children around prevention of mother to child transmission. And so this is a very important part of the HIV drug resistance story that until this study or this project act up, nobody in PNG has looked at. And HIV and the prevention of mother to child transmission of HIV is kind of what we call a low hanging fruit. It's one of the eight areas of HIV prevention that we should be most easily able to resolve. And yet PNG's got a transmission rate of around 25%. So for us to wonder why are so many babies being infected with HIV from their mothers who should be on treatment, we are trying to look at what role HIV drug resistance may be playing in this story as well. Uh, you gave some percentages about the percent of newly diagnosed patients that show some drug resistant uh, strains of HIV. Is, is that a, they, they're transmitting resistant HIV, they're not acquiring resistance. Is, is that the, the right way to understand that statistic? Yeah, so that's a, yeah, a really important differentiation. So we call them pre-treatment night pre-treatment drug resistance and so they are people who have traditionally been transmitted a drug resistant variant so they've gone out unfortunately become infected with hiv and even before they take antiretroviral therapy their um, scope of treatment is already severely limited so they have had a virus that has been transmitted and is already drug resistant so it's got nothing to do with their adherence. It's got nothing to do with any of those other kind of biomedical issues that might be happening within a person. They've been infected with a drug resistant strain. So I might come to you, Janet, now about some of the very practical things you and your project team have achieved in 2020 and 21, which is um, the establishment of two new laboratories in Mount Hagen, which is part of Western Highlands province and in Port Moresby, the capital of PNG. What did you and the team do right in order for you to have these achievements during the COVID pandemic? Over to you, Janet. Thank you, Stephanie. Uh, we, had, uh, we had many wrongs, we had challenges, we had so many negotiations that happened in 2020 and 2021 to finally saw the establishment of the two clinics in two provinces. Um, we had, um, uh, on top of that, we had the COVID pandemic, which uh, caused a lot of delays in our refurbishment of our, both our clinics. And uh, we also had um, issues with um, uh, dispensation of um, gene expert machines, particularly to one of our clinic that slowed us to start. Um, and we also had um, at the clinical level encountered scaling down of staff. Despite what COVID gave us, we, we tried to find um, small windows of opportunity where we can push through. And um, I think one of the things that um, caused us to succeed to succeed to where we are now is we had the support of the clinicians on the ground and we had the support of the key partners who, um, who knew the importance of um, what we were doing and they could, they gave their best, they, they gave their advice and uh, they were very supportive. So we try to make use of what we can, 
I remember in Mount Hagen was the first site uh, when COVID hit Mount Hagen and there were a scale down of services. The sexual health services was um, uh, was there still operating an essential service. So seeing that we had a window of opportunity to go in there and um, start doing work, uh, continue um, our awareness with our clinicians about the study, uh, we, we made use of that. And there was also a lot of um, external support uh, from uh, KB Institute, that's Angela and Steve, uh, via email, via video calls of how we could move things when we are you know, uh, challenged. And um, we had um, a lot of meetings happening online, uh, offline as well. And uh, yeah, we uh, kind of make the most of it. And we just want to thank um, the HIV program, PNG Country HIV program uh, manager and the team, uh, the clinicians for the enthusiasm and uh, who also the interest in the project has caused us to move forward. Um, and um, Global Fund to help us with some of the instruments and uh, key partners uh, uh, that uh, because of them and uh, their support, we were able to uh, so the establishment and uh, we've seen the service now being run in um, both sides. There's two new laboratories, both able to do resistance testing for HIV. Are these laboratories receiving samples from uh, single clinics at the same location or is the project testing samples from HIV patients from across PNG? What is the flow of samples that is coming to the new laboratories, Janet? So the laboratories that uh, there were once a clinic rooms that we refurbish and convert into labs. So we are doing point of care testing there. Uh, we are not doing HIV drug resistance testing there. We just be doing um, early infant diagnosis uh, for babies and we're doing um, viral load testing for people who are newly diagnosed and coming for treatment before initial treatment and uh, also for people who've been on treatment but have been failing treatment uh, clinical um, outcomes so uh, drug resistant testing is something that um, we will be in the coming future we'll be establishing it at the IMR Goroka but uh, in the sh uh, short term we are we'll be sending samples to St. Vincent Hospital to assist us uh, do the drug resistant testing. I might turn to you, Steve, and, and one of the project goals for ACT UP PNG is to strengthen the health workforce for surveillance. Can you tell us about how the project is doing that and how you know it's working? But And as well, uh, could you give us a reflection of what it was like to provide some remote support? Um, we know it's happened a lot in so many of our projects. So as well as your reflections on workforce, I'm interested in um, how the remote support has worked and is working. I'd just like to comment or start by commenting that I think Janet's being a little bit too modest. Um, Janet's played a, a, an absolutely major role in the establishment and functionality of both the, uh, the Teninga Clinic at Mount Hagen and also where we're up to in relation to the laboratory in, in Port Moresby um, across a number of different ways in regards to that leadership. One of the keys um, has also been about um, ensuring that our staff were uh, vaccinated very early for COVID uh, in order to provide protection to those staff uh, and a number of other safety measures that we took of which Janet led um, in terms of, of actioning those, um, those particular uh, measures. 
So I, I think that uh, I just wanted to add a little bit to uh, the modest statements she's made around that. The, her role in this has been absolutely paramount. And uh, it partly feeds into your question around um, uh, working from uh, arm's length here in Australia. Um, but to also go back a step, the other part of uh, establishing not only uh, HIV viral load testing and early infant diagnosis is one of the other areas we've been very um, strongly working in is closing the gap on being able to test newborn babies between you know roughly eight weeks of age up to 10 years of age for paediatric viral load because that's been the other major gap missing from this particular HIV picture in PNG. So up until recently, um, until we've come up with some alternative methods to um, be able to test uh, newborns up and up to 10 years of age without any major uh, impact or invasive procedures. Uh, that has been another area that uh, has been really clearly missing from this picture. So this issue around whether or not newborn babies are also virally suppressed once they've started on ART has been uh, a part of the missing equation. So looping this back to what Angela was saying, if you're going to be talking about HIV and, um, and you know, current and future drug resistance, being able to monitor these new babies is absolutely vital uh, in terms of both reducing mortality and morbidity uh, to ensure that they're on the correct meds from, from very early on. Um, so we see that as a, as a very important step. Going forward, as uh, Janet has already indicated, we also had a very clear and distinct training program scheduled to bring um, key staff from the Institute of Medical Research at Garoka down to Sydney. Uh, and also have them trained um, not only on that platform, but also the interpretation of those uh, sequenced uh, drug-resistant results. So COVID has put that on hold uh, for a period of time. As Janet's mentioned, um, we'll be bringing those drug-resistant uh, uh, dry blood spots down to Sydney uh, to test in the interim, uh, and then will actually provide support in terms of the interpretation of those results via the team at the WHO Reference Centre at St Vincent's uh, to be able to begin to describe, uh, A, the results from these dry blood spots, what constitutes drug resistance markers, uh, what doesn't, and then obviously what needs to happen from a, a clinical point of view based on those particular results. So as far as strengthening the workforce goes, we're hoping that into 2022, as the restrictions and the quarantine requirements change uh, for both PNG and for Australia, that we can actually begin to start thinking more and more around actually bringing people down and engaging them much more directly in that particular training. And once that's happening, then we can start to look at strengthening the actual HIV drug resistance workforce more and more uh, and upskill them and uh, increase that capacity more directly. And, and that's always been our primary aim, but I think it's only into next year that we can start to look at uh, being able to achieve that more clearly. Um, can you help me understand a bit of the sense of proportion and numbers? So when ACT UP PNG is talking about the training scenario and the workforce engagement. Are we talking about 10, 20, 50 laboratory staff? Can you describe some of your partners in country? So this, the initial round of training will be confined uh, to the ACT UP team. 
uh, who's established these two labs at Mount Hagen and in Port Moresby. But already we're having conversations with uh, CPHL in Port Moresby around who else could be a, a very clear partner uh, in this training so that we slowly begin to actually build up those workforce numbers, Stephanie. Now, we don't have a hard and fast number at this stage. Part of that will depend on what happens uh, next year in relation to the potential establishment of other molecular point of care testing laboratories in other high burden settings, for example, across PNG. And as, the, as those kinds of um, forward plans begin to unfold, then clearly you're going to need more and more individuals who A, understand what drug resistance testing is about, B, what those results mean, C, what are the clinical implications around those results, and D, how they get transferred back to clinicians. In the short term, you're probably talking somewhere between five to eight individuals uh, to meet the needs of uh, the ACT UP program. Uh, but if that goes to version 2.0, it's probably going to double. If we then engage other partners, then, you know, it's probably going to double again. Um, so you're going to need quite a few people who are well-informed around uh, not only um, the process of testing for drug resistance, but also interpretation and, and then the uh, forwarding of those results so that you get uh, impact at a clinical level. Janet, you gave some... Uh, encouraging news that the sexual and reproductive health services were sustained and designated as an essential service for 2021 and perhaps 2020. I'm interested in your um, view of the how whether the clinicians managing HIV are demanding this information. Now that ACT UP has started, we have some results from the infant. Um, testing from the paediatric viral loads, how are the clinicians responding to the availability of this new laboratory information? This is, this is something that uh, I, the clinicians were looking forward to, they were looking forward to because uh, most of the clinicians who are currently managing patients at each clinic has been there as sexual health clinicians for quite a long time and seeing a change in the way things are done in terms of uh, diagnosing um, uh, or in terms of diagnostics or providing point of care testing was a generally what, what we, we gathered from each side was like uh, everyone was just what we're happy and um, just to add on what Steve has uh, mentioned regarding training and stuff what, what we saw also and engaged our clinicians on the ground as well is um, engaging them into understanding what is viral load, what is the ID testing, uh, we uh, do in information sessions with our clinicians, get them to understand what we are trying to establish uh, in each clinic and what is our long-term goals. And these other ones will be in the system to support through. So we make sure that um, they understand why we are collecting this amount of blood, but we are also teaching them how to relate our AID testing results for the babies and also viral load testing um, results for the current uh, the patients that we are looking now. Uh, yes, yeah, so it is it is uh, kind of a there's there I'll say they're so they're so happy that this is happening and with their support we were able to move through. That's ter that's terrific to hear, Angela. Did you want to add something there? I just think it's important to remind our audience that until ACT UP, there was no point of care. HIV viral load testing 
nor was there any point of care early infant diagnostics testing in PNG. Now, PNG IMR and Kirby have pioneered both of these approaches in PNG, and we showed that it was highly feasible and acceptable. So these are really important tests to triage people into drug resistance testing. So you triage someone, if someone remains unsuppressed with their virus, you then have to suspect that they, if you've given them all the great adherence counselling, you've given them all the other sort of psychosocial support, and if they're still not suppressed, you have to then think, is this drug resistance? And so that's what ACT UP allows us to do, is to monitor this and use viral load to triage people into drug resistance testing once we see if they're not suppressed after a period of time. And so that's clearly for acquired drug resistance. But then because we're also doing um, viral load at baseline, so when someone is newly diagnosed, we're also working out on a routine level, are people still being infected? So are they getting a transmitted HIV virus? So we've got monitoring of acquired drug resistance happening through the viral load and EID program. And then we also have the, um, the transmitted. So we're addressing both sets of drug resistance through these point of care technologies. And so while we talk about setting up labs, we're not setting up standalone labs. We are bringing the technologies to our communities where they are. One of the challenges for us, I think we've had a huge amount of success in the fact that we are testing and returning results on the same day. Our biggest change is actually getting our patients to understand the value in waiting for results and being prepared to stay. One of the paediatricians yesterday wrote to us and said, but the mothers aren't coming with enough milk or formula or food for their babies to stay for the results. So we're having to also work on a culture of the clinics and our patients to stay and understand the value of having same day results. And so that's where Janet, Simon and others supporting our clinicians to, to make those transformations in our clinics that aren't about lab skills, they're not about diagnostic facilities, they are about a culture of, um, of actually understanding that you have a right to your results on the same day and that that is the mission of ACT UP, is to give you your results in a very timely manner to inform your healthcare. What's the change in terms of how long people have to wait? Is it three, five, seven hours? Because it can be a big deal if you've travelled a long way to come to a clinic. Correct. When Janet and I first did the scoping up at Taninga Clinic, they were waiting six months for their viral load results. Six months for their viral load results. So there was no way in the world that those viral load results were changing clinical care. What we've been able to do now is implement something where you can, the clinician will receive that result in less than two hours of the sample being collected. So it takes an hour and a half to go through the machine. Of course, most patients aren't used to waiting. And we've done some really lovely community engagement work where we've actually explained to our communities why these results are important. And on the day we did that, all the people stayed for their results. So it's just a matter of getting people to understand the value of knowing their results to make informed choices about their life. Having unprotected sex without a condom, having a baby, all these things that you make choices about based on virological data. So build upon what Angela's saying, it requires a, a systematic chipping away uh, and sort of reorientation 
to be able to achieve those kinds of outcomes. And, and it's really quite interesting to look at these two particular sites and how little it's actually taking to actually change that culture, um, particularly in terms of uh, from the point of a patient's arrival, uh, the need for a faster um, blood collection, the need for a faster returning of that sample to the to the mini lab, for example, to enable testing to happen in a very time effective manner to then return the result uh, back to the clinician so that they can actually deliver that result. Um, and in a very short space of time, we've actually seen that, that changing quite quickly. And some of the feedback from both um, the clinicians and from the actual um, individuals themselves is both surprise and delight um, because of that immediacy. And um, to be able to engage in that kind of change and shift, I think, you know, works very closely with part of our objectives. So I think that's very, very encouraging. And it also gives us a template for replicating this elsewhere. Now for the last question, which is, you know, we've, the COVID response in many countries benefited from the existing work in technology and health service delivery from diseases such as HIV and TB. And when we're talking about um, improvements in both technological capacity, timeliness of testing, an approach to patient-centred care and engagement with results, I'm interested in your perspectives about the extent to which the HIV-focused project, benefits can be realised in either other pathogens or other approaches to health security. I'll, I'll start with you, Angela. I think the thing that HIV and, and to a lesser extent TB, but what HIV has taught us and what I think people are now starting to get in PNG is that you need to engage communities in a public health response. And I think we see that in the COVID vaccination failure in Papua New Guinea now, that that has not happened. And it's being done on cultural beliefs, whether they be based on misinformation from the media and, and other things, where the HIV response was always based in the community and everything came from there. And I think even this work that we're doing for ACT UP has come from our engagement with our communities from Janet and I sitting under trees with sex workers and MSM and transgender women and, and other people with HIV. So I think that's what ACT UP is so important for because it's been driven from community need. And I think that's the lesson, doesn't matter what pathogen you're talking about, it has to be driven from the community with the community in mind at all times. And I think that's why even though it's been tough at times to get the viral load and EID program up and even harder to get what we're now um, trying to do with the paediatric viral load, it's that commitment to engagement of community that's allowed us and so facilitated this success. Australia and other countries like that, including Papua New Guinea, have signed up to the global target or the global goal of ending AIDS. And you are never going to end AIDS if you can't address inequalities and you will certainly never end AIDS or any other epidemics of mass death and, and, and other things without addressing drug resistance. But these are not laboratory pathological molecular responses. The community has to be key to this. And if it's not, drug resistance, transmission, 
low rates of vaccination, HIV transmission, all these things will continue. Janet or Steve, did you want to add a perspective? I think um, Angela said it well. Community engagement is very, very vital in pursuit of a cost to um, to avert disease or infection in the country. So, um, uh, and also one of the things is that getting also the key people in the health system to understand why we are doing this and having them involved at all the levels is very important. And that is what we are seeing in the HIV. That can be also, you know, in other programs that can, you know, they can interpret our program and see how well it can, it can fit their spot. Thanks, Janet. And Steve, any reflections from you? It really is about uh, that particular engagement. And, and I suppose the other point around that too is that when that's done well, uh, you know, people, people want to engage, you know, in, in a system that basically um, is there for them. That's where the credibility issue becomes such an important factor is there is no point in establishing short-term credibility only to see it fall over down the track. If you've gone to all that effort to engage with communities and other stakeholders to establish, for example, in this case, uh, the ACT UP program, to then have it fall over, you know, 12 months or 18 months down the track after it shows such uh, a level of engagement and benefit and impact you know, for uh, for community members, then I, th I think that's uh, not only incredibly sad, but it continues to damage any future efforts you might want to do around other forms of, of resistance. Um, and I think that um, once you get those systems set up, there's, their stability and their uh, sustainability, you know, become really, really important factors because people are very quick to say, yeah, that was great. I went twice got my results on the same day, but now uh, I'm having to wait again. So this this waxing and waning of, of um, service delivery, I, I think can be really damaging. And I think we have to work really hard as we are to make sure that we don't, uh, you know, end up somewhere like that down the road. I've said it on this podcast before when we've reflected on COVID responses that it's about people not pathogens, and those lessons are demonstrated time and time again by success in HIV and AIDS treatment and management. Um, can I thank you, Angela, Janet and Steve, for your reflections today and the significance of the achievements and the innovation that you have um, pushed in PNG from the studies a few years ago to the point of care testing and on a pathway to viral load test to resistance testing in country. Um, can I thank you for your insights today and, um, and success and hard work to date and more into the future. So thanks for your time. Thanks very much. Thanks so much, Stephanie, for having us. Thank you so much, Stephanie. You've been listening to Janet Gare, Angela Kelly and Steve Badman talking about the ACT UP project in PNG. Our next podcast is a special episode as we bring you the Centre's 2021 Ruth Bishop Lecture in which Dr Sartak Das, Chief Executive Officer of the Asia-Pacific Leaders Malaria Alliance, expands on the themes we have explored today of community-led health solutions, bringing together his experience from Ebola, malaria and HIV. Please subscribe to get our latest releases from Contain This, delivered to your chosen podcast service.